This is Lock and Code, a Mauerbytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. This week, we're going to talk about last week, starting with the news. On Mauerbytes Labs, we addressed one of the more popular online questions today. Should you use a VPN? The short answer? It depends. The long answer? Consider the right VPN for you which could include tons of exit nodes, the capability to install the VPN on your router, and a kill switch functionality to cut internet access in case of a malfunction. And we say this with the perfect amount of bias, Mauerbytes privacy is a pretty good option. We also checked in on the internet of things. The IoT future likely includes debilitating system updates, expiring certificates, worrying data collection, and puzzling guarantees. It turns out that not only can internet-enabled devices make life slightly more convenient, they can also make it slightly more annoying. Our threat intelligence team discovered a sneaky multi-stage attack that we believe is related to an advanced persistent threat group. The attack begins with a fraudulent resume, presented as a Word document, that delivers a malicious payload onto a victim's machine. In that payload sits a .exe that actually rests on a machine until a restart, making it harder to immediately detect. The end goal? Deliver Cobalt Strike malware. Sure is a lot of steps to be a jerk. Finally, we looked at Big Tech's recent decision to step back from facial recognition technology. Amazon promised a one-year moratorium on police use of its own tech, while Microsoft refused to offer its facial recognition technology to police officers until federal legislation provided better guidelines. IBM took a slightly different route and told Congress members it was done developing the technology altogether. The tech company's change in attitude comes amidst civil unrest in the United States following the killing of George Floyd by a former police officer. Now, more than ever, questions arise over whether a faulty, inaccurate technology should be offered to police as Americans countrywide witness their neighbors pepper-sprayed, tear-gassed, fired at with rubber-encased bullets, and assaulted, all at the hands of the very forces tasked with their protection. Let us be careful about the world we are building. In cybersecurity news across the world, the St. Helens Star reported that an IT specialist was charged with stealing 30,000 pounds in cryptocurrency from one of his clients. Appearing before the Liverpool Crown Court for sentencing, the IT specialist was defended by his attorney, who shared with the court that in the specialist's defense, he felt, quote, very stupid. <laughs> yes. The Register analyzed how an alleged arsonist, accused of setting fire to two Philadelphia police vehicles, was tracked down through her social media activity, online buying habits, and through footage of her tattoo. A possible clincher, though, was that one of the alleged arsonist's online usernames included her real first and middle name. No word on whether her password included her address. VPN Mentor's research team discovered a data breach that exposed sensitive images from a variety of niche dating apps. These aren't your Tinders, your Grinders, your J-dates, okay? Think deeper subgenres. Honestly, it's unfair. You spend so much time finding your exact match, only to suffer a data breach because of it. HelpNet Security told readers about increased business email compromise attacks during the coronavirus pandemic. 
Some companies will likely draw from world governments to model their own responses to the crisis, which means ignoring the problem and hoping it goes away. And finally, House Beautiful warned readers about a fraudulent Southwest Airlines Facebook account claiming to offer free flights. We apologize if this means your vacation has now been canceled, but don't feel too isolated. The entire concept of vacation is now canceled. Our main story today concerns passwords, the first line of defense for many of us in maintaining our privacy and security online. A good, strong password is never repeated, never relies on personal information, and never includes easy-to-guess strings of numbers or letters. Sadly, despite these understood rules, year after year, the public widely fails. According to a report from Splash Data, the top two passwords last year were 123456 and, now get this, 123456789. The top third password, a real curveball, QWERTY. And it took until the top fourth slot to have the password be the word itself, password. The problem, it seems, is human error. We may know it's important to have a strong, non-guessable, lengthy password. And yet, we still probably all know someone who writes their password on a post-it, which is then affixed literally onto their machine. To lessen the potential risks, many alternatives to standard password creation have sprung up, including password managers, biometrics, single sign-ons, and physical hardware that acts as a key. To help us better understand the future of passwords and any potential pitfalls for the burgeoning alternatives, we're talking today to Matt Davey, Chief Operations Optimist at 1Password, and Kyle Swank, a member of 1Password's security team. Matt, Kyle, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, thanks. This is going to be fun. Matt, starting with you, can you help our listeners better understand your role at 1Password? It's not every day we have a chief operations optimist. Yeah, I, I think the, the CEO role is, is one that really is kind of defined by the person who does it. So for me, I oversee product from the kind of design point of view and the usability point of view. I oversee marketing and design as well. So yeah, my, my day is very varied. Anything from talking about a conference that we're going to be at to coming on a podcast to <laughs> talking about how the product works and what our customers really want from it. Nice. Yeah, thank you. And Kyle, can you also help our listeners understand what you do on the security team at 1Password? Sure. So I really work a couple of different things primarily. I work with our Apple team to maintain and improve security and privacy for our Mac and iOS applications. I also manage our bug bounty program at BugCrowd. And just a variety of different new things. Every day is a little different, like today, doing a podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks so much. And with all of that, let's just get right into it. Let's start pretty broadly here. What are the importance of strong passwords? And further, what makes a password a good password? Kyle, did you want to take this one? Because uh, you, <laughs> you had quite an interesting answer to this. Sure. So a good password is one that I think you kind of ran through in the, in the intro is one that can't be easily guessed, but that's in a way a kind of a boring answer. <laughs> so I look at this a little differently in what makes a bad password is that tends to be a whole lot more interesting without going too deep into the weeds. Bad passwords are often made up of known information or public information, kids' birthdays, old phone numbers, names of pets. These things aren't really random. 
another criteria that I look at is in terms of like, what is a bad password is the system sort of dreamed up by the user where they have some pattern or process that they use to create a password. And humans aren't good at choosing random things, numbers or names or dates or anything like that. So the criteria there kind of what I use is a good definition of how to create a bad password. And, you know, people who specialize in, in cracking passwords, which for those that aren't maybe familiar, the process of guessing passwords, using tools that are designed to do these guessing techniques very, very quickly. They know a lot about the poor processes that people use to generate passwords. So anything that's going to add an amount of non-randomness is going to make it easier for those types of things to, to be easily guessed. The other criterion, probably one of the biggest ones is password reuse. So password reuse is sort of the reason why tools like 1Password exist and, and why we work on it so hard. A site that is compromised and uses a weak method of storing a user's password on the server is a great source of these sort of problems where, where passwords get leaked and, and compromised. Yeah. Uh, those people who guess and do the password cracking process, that makes their job a whole lot easier. <laughs> so a person who uses the same password, even if it's a strong one, if one of those sites is compromised, it can lead to that password that they use everywhere being compromised and all of their potential sites being compromised. So that, that's one of the big things about using bad passwords is just reusing them. And we have a feature in one password called Watchtower that helps notify you of breached sites, reused passwords and compromised passwords. Yeah. So we try to prevent that usage of bad passwords. So kind of with that in mind, a good password is a unique password for each site or service that is generated by a strong password generator, like the one we introduced in 1Password. We have spoken a little bit here, like you said, so there's a couple of features in 1Password. There's a couple of things that 1Password is trying to help or trying to prevent, trying to secure. What is 1Password? What do you folks do? What does the software you make provide? And what problem are y'all trying to solve? So 1Password is one of the most loved password managers, really. It delivers the, the most secure and easiest to use solution for businesses and individuals to essentially completely remove the frustration of passwords. So it stores all of your passwords for you. And over time, if you're starting to get used to it, you can generate new ones using our strong password generator. And then really, you, you just one by one forget them, right? These passwords that you've previously made up, you you forget them over time. Mm -hmm. And then one password will just fill in the page for you. So you're being secure by using these strong generated unique passwords, but also you don't have to remember them. And you never really have to interact with them. It just kind of fills out the page and you're done. When there's this password generator that you folks have that you've, you've said is very strong, to give an idea to the folks who aren't familiar with it, are those passwords that are strong, are they just a string of random numbers and letters and special characters? Are they based on length? Is it complexity? Just kind of help our folks understand, what does one of those even look like? So we, we have a couple of modes. One that you might want to read out over the phone or you might want to type in easily or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's from the word list. So we have a, mm -hmm. a giant list of basically words. And you say how many words you want. I want four. And it will come up with yeah. something completely random. I use those for even things like security questions that mm -hmm. I might get asked over the phone. So you, you, know, you read it out and it always gets a, a weird kind of response because what's your mother's maiden name? And then you read out four completely random words. 
<laughs> yes, yeah. uh, it, it's always interesting. But the other side is the random password generator, which just comes out with with complete mixture of symbols and mm-hmm. numbers and letters. For most passwords, I just generate that to the maximum that the site will allow. Speaking about word lists, yeah, really quickly, you know, where I used to work, we visited a conference one time and we had like an activity for folks, which was making a new password based on whatever fandom they were super into. And so there were word lists based on like Harry Potter references and word lists based on Star Wars and I think like Game of Thrones. And we made it like super clear, like, please don't use these because when you, <laughs> when you start to like actually narrow down your list of words to only so many things that are available within a even a universe as broad as Game of Thrones, like that's a smaller universe than ours. And that's an easier way to guess. But it was a way to just kind of familiarize people with like, yeah, roll some dice, six six-sided dice, and then get a number and then pull whatever word that is from the word list that we've compiled. And it's always like a really fun way to, I think, introduce password generation, password creation to folks in a new way. And that's happening quite a bit, you know, with 1Password, like you said. And so I wanted to ask, you know, what alternatives are there right now to the standard password process that many of us grew up with, in which I remember years ago, you know, I make an online account, I have to think of a new password, which probably was not very different from others. And I have to do it by hand and then try to remember it. What alternatives are there to that process that we're so used to? So, yeah, alternatives. That's a tricky one, right? Like there's a bunch Mm -hmm. of different options. We've got like biometrics. That seems to be a really, really popular one right now. Physical keys, USB key devices and things like that. Single sign-on services. There's obviously the password manager that we've already discussed. So, you know, there's there's a variety of solutions that are trying to solve the password problem. We've been talking about sort of the demise of the password for <laughs> the last time I looked, it was like 20 years ago. I, I found it <laughs> from like around the early 2000s. So, <laughs> you know, we've been talking about the demise of the password for a very long time. And yet here we are still using passwords two decades later. Yeah. And I they're think just with, as, with more than ever, right? <laughs> yeah. They're more prevalent now than ever before. So solutions are out there. I don't know how long it's going to take for larger adoption of those kinds of things. And they all bring sort of their own pros and cons, and they all do things a little differently. They base their idea around the same sorts of processes and things like that, just doing them a little bit differently with different security trade-offs and different conveniences. Zeroing in on, on biometrics, like you said, some of these alternatives are relying on the same processes and, and they have like different trade-offs. Can we talk about them kind of one at a time and what are the advantages and what are the the disadvantages to something like biometrics? So biometrics, I think the there's a couple of different things we kind of want to talk about around biometrics. So the big one is privacy. Privacy and how you secure whatever that biometric authentication is, right? So I like to use Apple. My bias towards Apple stuff here is going to show up here a little bit as we talk about this. It's also the platform that I work with most, so I'm most familiar with it. But I do believe Apple does a very good job here. They only store the biometric data locally on the device, and it can't be copied off of that device. One of the things that I think is brought up a lot in conversation about biometrics is you can't change your fingerprint. You can't mm-hmm. change your retina. You can't change your face. I guess you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it, you know, like these things are more difficult to change than a password or uh, a security key or something like that, right? Yeah. So biometrics, I feel like, are best to be used as a way to access data locally, somewhere where the, mm-hmm. the data stays on the device and you don't have to worry about that 
biometric data being sent to a server or being yeah. stored on something. We never know how a site or service is storing our data. I think over the years, we've sort of learned we can't trust that somebody's doing the right thing <laughs> when it comes to storing data securely. <laughs> so the last thing I want is my biometrics data stored on a yeah. server that I can't feel like I can actually trust. So that's the big improvement that I see in how we want to make sure we handle biometric data. And something else we mentioned here is, like you said, USB keys, sort of physical keys. Can we talk just more about, about what are those? I know that there's actually quite a few businesses that rely on them too. I believe that Google uses their own kind of USB key device for workers who log into their devices. How do they work? And, and again, you know, what, what are the upsides and what are the possible disadvantages? The very broad overview of that, I guess, is when you sign up for a site or service, you can plug a hardware key into, a, into your device. And when you plug it in, you can link it to your account. When you do so, it sort of shares some data. And then each time you have to use it to sign in, the USB key can be plugged in. You basically touch like a, a sensor on the, the device. And it will take some data from the server process it locally on the USB key, and then send the result back to the server. So the, the neat thing here is the secret used for sort of granting access is never outside of the hardware key. So I think of it like you have a password, and that password is stored securely in this USB device, and it can't come off of it. So nobody can read that thing once it's on there, and... From that sort of point of view, data sort of goes into it and then comes out of it via you know, math. You can effectively mm -hmm. confirm that the key is the one that was used during sign-up. Ah, uh, okay. The interesting to, thing to note about things like YubiKeys and, and physical other keys is that most of the time they are used as a, a second factor, right? They are mm -hmm. to authorize a new device or, or they're not expected to, to be used every time in kind of usual situations. And for that, I think they work quite well. I know I did try one for a while. I'm going to out myself and say I don't have one now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the difficulty is obviously that, that they detach from your workspace <laughs> and go missing as much as AirPods do, I think. So I, I think that's kind of the big downside of them. But I think, you know, in a workplace environment, they do make sense in, in some circumstances. Matt, like you said, you know, 1Password is not just a solution for businesses, but also consumers. Have the two of you just seen that some of these alternatives are more popular with businesses or consumers? Or, or have you seen that some are better or worse? Like just kind of trying to understand, you know, who are these alternatives for and who seems to like them or adopt them? I think the single sign on the one that we didn't talk about is big with businesses. I think kind of businesses look at it as a as identity management as a, as a whole section. And what we're finding is identity management is basically broken into two tiers. And, you know, a third is now is really necessary, really. So the first being, you know, MFA, multi-factor authentication, which is something like a hardware key or a time-based one-time password, you know, mm -hmm. that, that type of thing. The second one is, is something like single sign-on. And between those, I would say you're looking at about 40% of services, right? So 40% yeah. of the services that you sign up within your company are handled by those two. And so you've got this rest of this, this 60%. This is outside of your IT department's remit, right? This is Wendy and Bob in accounting. They've decided that they're going to use this other tool 
this random one and they're going to sign up for it. And you as an IT department never get to find out about that, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's not covered under single sign-on because they, you know, that product hasn't implemented it. And Duo or whatever you use for, for company-wide MFA, there's some technical setup that needs to happen there. Mm-hmm. And Bob and Wendy don't care about that. They just want to use the service. Yeah. And I think that's where this third tier of a password manager being implemented company-wide really comes into its own because for the rest of the 60% of other apps and other services that your team are signing up for, what are they using, right? They're using the password probably that they reused at home, that they made up that has the service name in it plus the name of their cat. And they're wandering around thinking that that's perfectly secure. And that means 60% of the services that you use for business are essentially insecure, right? So these Identity management stacks are kind of evolving as, as businesses get kind of wind of these data breaches and such. But I think it's moving definitely from businesses into consumer. Whereas, you know, 1Password really went the other way. And I think that's mm-hmm. why we, part of our success has been the fact that we make a really good consumer product. Mm-hmm. And our success in the, in the business area has been that either you become really good in business or you come become really good in consumer and we're kind of moving from one to the other, right? So what a business cares about is all the compliance and everything like that. We've been doing this for four years in in business now, but we've been doing it in consumer land for, oh man, 14? I think something (laughs) like 14 years. So we're going into a business and we're used by everyone in that business because of the fact that we're really good with consumers, right? Mm -hmm. We're really good with the end product being nice to use and easy to sign up and accessible and and that type of thing. And so when you do launch out in in a business, we just see the the adoption is you know so natural. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> just kind of starts using it, which is which is awesome. I wanted to move here, you know, you said earlier that for years, you know, for like two decades we've been looking at when are we going to get to the demise of the password? When is it going to end and In two decades, it seems, like you said, we've kind of gone the inverse. We're using more passwords than we ever have before. Will we ever get rid of the written password as we know it? Uh, This is, it's almost like a glass half full, half full or (laughs) half full, half empty sort of deal, right? It depends on how you look at it. They're easier to remember. You know, like (laughs) that's the idea of one password. You have one password you have to remember. They can be changed, unlike say biometrics or hardware keys are a little bit more tricky, but a little less convenient as well as you have to carry something around. But will we be rid of passwords as we know it? I have to think someday we'll probably have some way of doing it. I don't know if we've actually hit on sort of the one of those technologies yet, but I feel like we've gotten a little bit closer. And I yeah, think it's well, sort of each like each of these technologies seem to kind of chip away slightly at it. And you know, you have a few that are single sign-on, you have a few that try something different by emailing me a link that I can never find. And, and you, know, you, have, you have all of these different things. But you know, most of them all, all revert back to passwords, which I, I always find quite interesting from a, a usability stance. It is the, the one time that you can't get into this single sign-on thing or you know, the one time that you can't get into two-factor, right? What do you do? You contact their security team or you contact their customer service team and they turn it off. So, like, <laughs> and then you're logging in with a password. And, and right. so I, I think they're always going to be around in some sense. I can't see some kind of, you know, global identity card or uh, <laughs> whatever uh, Minority Report uses. You know, Minority Report was an interesting example because 
he did kind of change his face to get around right. the security, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It, you know, for <laughs> I, I for think, folks who haven't seen it, you know, it's Tom Cruise's character replaces his eyes. Like, that's it. And then he is now recognized as a different man when he, like, goes shopping. And that speaks to a different kind of dystopia of, like, ad tracking, which is, hey, you know, they got that right. Yeah, <laughs> they did get that right. <laughs> oh, they did really get that right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the coolest gadget actually was the the little thing that he stuck in his chin and it pulled his entire face down and gave him wrinkles. Yeah, I think that gadget was his drugs, like his future opioid addiction. Um, oh. I think it was. I'm not entirely certain. I always wondered whether you could put it on the top of your head and it would give you a facelift. <laughs> Lift it up. <laughs> we were talking about how a lot of things revert to passwords. Um, and I assume folks who are working in passwords like every day of their lives have thought about just in a glancing way, like, what is the perfect alternative? You know, what does it address that isn't addressed right now? And yeah, I wanted to pitch that to you folks. You know, is there such a thing? Like, because we said, we haven't seen the technology yet, and we keep chipping away at it. What would a perfect alternative either look like? Or or what would it address in a way that hasn't been addressed before? That is an incredibly difficult <laughs> question to ask. <laughs> yeah. You know, if I had the solution to that, I think I would make a lot of money uh, <laughs> by by coming up with something. But essentially, the issue is is not the Googles of the world using a, a hardware key, right? Mm-hmm. It's the mom and pop shop that I buy something random from. What's the technology? They're not going to implement hardware keys or anything like that because they're just mm-hmm. using a, a normal little store, right? And when you times that by the amount of services and amount of things that you have passwords for now, I think it's it's going to come out of nowhere and it's going to have a very, very slow adoption, but it will get there. And I do not know what that thing looks like, Mm -hmm. but I do not think that thing looks like something that I carry around with me just as someone who loses stuff all the time. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Kyle? (laughs) You know, I think you kind of nailed it. If I knew the answer to that, I would be making a lot of money. I don't have a good answer to that one. I don't think we have a good sort of view of what it looks like yet. We know kind of the the pros and cons of what exists currently, right? And a lot of this stuff really boils down to what works for a particular company or person. And that's going to change for, you know, person to person, company to company. So the things that may that we may look at as maybe a, a pro could be a con to another company. And so it's not a one size fits all sort of deal right now. Mm -hmm. With that in mind, how do you find that sort of magic bullet that fits everyone, right? I don't know. I don't know how we look at that. I think it's going to be something that probably starts as an idea and somebody like any other product that changes the world, I guess it's going to slowly take over, but I don't know if we've gotten there yet. And I don't think we've nailed all of the things that make this thing what it needs to be yet either. Yeah, if, if you look at things like the popularized versions of, of single sign-on, which is something like signing with Facebook or signing with Twitter and, and mm. stuff like that, the idea of, of signing in quickly is not how they progress, right? Those are the ones that you can implement quickly, but the idea of those is compromising your privacy for your security, almost convenience, basically. And so I think to develop something at the moment would require a motivation or a change in how we think about things. And this thing of of how we log in, the idea of a password is that no one can really monitor 
your password, right? No one can see, okay, well, he signed into this website. She signed into that one. Oh, and she signed into that one as well. So I'm going to track her with ads on those other two, right? Mm-hmm. If, you, if you just randomly generate passwords, that that kind of link isn't, isn't involved. And I think the commercialization of logins, which has seemed to happen at the moment, mm-hmm. she's like, you know, sign in with, and I don't know, I think it's going to be something that comes out out of neutrality almost. Could you have guessed that the commercialization of logins, you know, like, like 10 years ago? I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it was, it, it, it's a really difficult thing, isn't it? Because it, on the surface, it, I mean, if you asked my parents, for example, mm-hmm. they'd be like, oh yeah, that's a lot easier. I don't see the downside. But I, I think, again, this solution of, you know, a passwordless world, I think comes out of a more technical generation. So I think it's going to be generations away when we have technology embedded much more than we have it now. I don't know, maybe that's just because I come from a, a rural city in, in England. <laughs> I know when we had to create passwords to park, it was like an account that you had to have if you wanted to park in, in the city center. There were nearly riots. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, the, Norwich was not ready for that. Um, and so like, I, I, I don't know, I think if you bought in hardware keys and said, right, everybody, everybody needs yeah. to use these for websites now. I think a lot more people would be would be throwing their arms up. Yeah, this uh, it'd be the the sequel to the French Revolution. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not over yet. Um, finally, just kind of ended here. You know, we've talked a lot about sometimes pretty like high minded. I think things for password creation, things that also may not be available to every listener at home. This might be the first time they've they've heard of a YubiKey. This might be. The first time, you know, maybe they work at a small organization that just hasn't wrapped its head around getting uh, using a single sign-on. So just for the folks at home who don't have those tools immediately available to them, who maybe work at a place that doesn't care about those things, isn't, you know, at that stage in their growth, what advice do you have for them if they're concerned about secure, strong passwords? My advice is going to be quite obvious, but I'm going to start with a kind of precursor. Check yourself out on, on Have I Been Pwned, which is a, a website that tells you when you've been included in a data breach. Because yeah. I, th- I think it does the one thing, it jumps that first barrier of, okay, I am at risk, yeah. right? Because a lot of people don't think they are at risk by these things. Oh, I have my system, or oh, I have this, I have that. Like I, I write them all down in a book and I add one each time and I, I note down what service it's for. Like that, you know, the writing it down in a book is, is kind of fine, right? I tell my parents to do that to a certain extent. And the data breach element is like, you know, when people say they've been hacked, it's, it's like they feel like they're a target. Yeah. So oh, I won't get hacked because, you know, I've, what, like, who am I? What, what, <laughs> yeah. what are they after? But if you think about it as a, like a data collection as a whole, right? This, this <laughs> kind of combine harvester just chewing up all the sites and, and harvesting all the, the data it kind of becomes a bit more achievable to realize almost that you are at risk by this stuff. So yeah, check yourself out on how I have been burned. And then when you come back and you, you know, you see, oh yeah, my Tumblr and my Yahoo and my Dropbox and, and all, all these services, like the, the, their passwords are leaked. I, I better go and change those three individual ones. And then you realize, mm-hmm. oh, I've reused those on 10 other services. So I've got to go and change those ones as well. Yeah. And you know, then you realize, oh, I use that on my Spotify. That's why, you know, I've got Elton John playing 300 times and I never listened to him. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was talking to a customer and that, that actually happened. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, when you get to that point, maybe start using a password manager. I recommend one password. <laughs> yeah. And that 
that website again is have I been pwned. That's P-W-N-E-D.com. And Kyle, do you have any advice? You know, I think Matt kind of covered it. It's mm. it's it's a lot about just educating yourself on what has potentially been compromised in your life. And and have I been pwned does a really good job of breaking that down for you. I think there's some other tools out there that do very similar things, but that's the one that that I use and the one that I that we use directly in one password as well. So you use one password, you get kind of the have I been pwned side of stuff built right in. But uh, yeah, I think the first step is understanding what the threat is and understanding how you like how you've been compromised. Mm-hmm. Everyone has in some form or fashion. It's just a matter of figuring out where. And once you figured that out, it's just a matter of continuing to improve by doing sort of a safety checklist every once in a while. You know, what sites have been compromised? Am I impacted? Do I need to change that password? And then not reusing them using a password manager. I used to say all the time talking to customers. I don't, I don't talk to them quite as much now as I used to, but even if you're not using one password, anything is better than nothing at all. As long as you're using a trusted tool, but there's, there's a, that whole trust thing. We've been doing this for 14 years. And I think, you know, we've built up a whole lot of trust with our users. You can't go wrong with one password. And once you've kind of set up that stuff, that's when mm-hmm. you decide what YubiKey you're going to buy or what authenticator you're going to add, or that, mm-hmm. that type of stuff. Get your foundation in order first before you start adding Going down the rabbit hole. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then one day working for one password. <laughs> Matt, Kyle, thank you for being on the show today. To our listeners at home, we'll talk to you again in two weeks when we discuss the Internet of Things with JP Taggart. What is it? what cybersecurity risks lie within, and how, if at all possible, can you stay safe?